Today, we're going to be talking about our finances. Now, some of you might shift in your seats when we start talking about money. That's fine. I shift in my seat when I hear about money also. But this is what I believe today, is that today is going to unlock your world. And today is going to be a turning point for some of you to find freedom in the area of finances. I thought what Jody said was absolutely profound about getting rid of fear, getting rid of guilt, getting rid of obligation when it comes to our finances. Because God actually wants us to live in freedom, doesn't he? Not guilt, not fear. And fear around money is huge. Who agrees with that? Who's ever, who's ever been worried about their finances in this room? And if I don't see every hand in this room up, I'm questioning um, your integrity. Because um, just as uh, by way of introduction about, around me, I might lose some of you right at the start when I tell you that I'm a full-time real estate agent as a, as a, um, as a vocation. And I'm also a location pastor in Mossman, which is quite an unusual combination um, of careers. Um, but it is what it is. I've been in real estate for 15 years and um, working in Mossman and living in Mossman, and we run a church in Mossman. And, um, and so in my experience as a real estate agent, I've come across all sorts of financial circumstances, as you can imagine. And here's one thing to understand, is it doesn't matter how much you earn, you can be bound to money. And, and so whether you're earning $30,000 a year or whether you're earning $3 million a year, you can be bound to money. And you can, you can experience serious financial stress in your world. So I think we need to learn that it's not about what we earn, it's actually about our relationship with money that will make all the difference. And it's certainly been my experience and I've had um, a great journey with God when it comes to money. I've done everything wrong and I've done what the Bible has told us to do to come out. And so the beautiful thing about what the Bible talks about is that when you do it, it works. It just does. And it's quite simple. Like what the Bible talks about with finance is really simple. And we're going to be touching on that today. And, um, you know, we've, we, um, we recently built a house. A couple of years ago, we built a house um, in Mossman. And we, um, as part of that, our kids have a cubby house, right? And the cubby house um, has moved Every time we've moved house, we've moved this cubby house as well. And, and when we were building, we had nowhere to store the cubby house, so we just flat-packed it and we put it up the back of our property while the construction was going on. And so in that time, it got covered in so much dirt and concrete and mess and all this stuff. It was like for, for six months, it was sitting in the backyard in the weather and, and was, was absolutely trashed. And by the time we put it back together... Um, it just didn't look very attractive anymore. It's a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful cubby. My father-in-law built it for my kids. Um, but we had this beautiful, vivid white paint that we were going to, um, to paint the cubby house with. And um, that paint had been sitting by our house um, for a little while in, in the tin. And we set the cubby up and it just looked horrible. And here's the thing about faith and the application of the Word of God. It doesn't do you any good unless you use it. Just like that paint sitting in the tin, it didn't actually do anything until we opened the tin and we put it on that cubby house. 
And when we did, it looked brand new. Like we painted this thing, we chipped off the concrete that had been sprayed on it, and this thing was transformed in a couple of hours in terms of the application. So unapplied faith is like unapplied paint. Like it just doesn't do anyone any good. Like we're not just here to be entertained. We're not here to sing a couple of songs. Like we're actually here to learn something that we can apply. So hopefully today's message will give you something that you can take away and go, hey, I'm going to just, I'm just going to start that. Even if it scares the living daylights out of me, I'm going to do it. Here's something that Matthew says. Um, oh, sorry, it says in Matthew, this is Jesus speaking. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. Easier said than done. <laughs> Talk about um, an opening statement. Don't worry about any of this stuff. Like, this is the thing that we worry about the most. And in fact, the number one cause of divorce, one, number one causes of divorce is money issues because it creates this tension, this stress, this um, problem in our worlds. Um, I know for myself, whenever, wherever I've been under fairly significant financial stress, my fuse is this big, you know, and, and, and something can tip me over the edge because I'm just carrying this tension that I wasn't created to create, to crea I wasn't created to carry that. It goes on, is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or they don't reap. They don't store away in barns. They have heavily father feeds them. Jesus knows that we need stuff. And um, that's not the be-all and end-all of, of, of our lives. It says that the pagans run after these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He's telling them this. The people crowded around him, and he was telling them that, hey, I know you need these things. I understand these things, but I'm going to show you a different way. Now, as humans, we don't naturally deviate towards healthy behaviors, do we? Like, I don't just accidentally eat a salad. Like, I just don't. I just don't. I don't accidentally avoid ice cream. Like, these are things that um, I have to be intentional about. I have to be intentional about. And we don't naturally deviate towards saving money, do we? Like, we don't naturally deviate towards keeping an eye, having a budget. We just don't do that naturally. We actually have to be intentional about it. Now, there's two types of people in this world, I've discovered. There's people who try to carry all the shopping bags in one trip, or there's people who do multiple trips. Who knows what I'm talking about? The other day, I, um, I did a big... We'd been away for a while, so we had to restock um, the pantry. And... Um, my whole, the back of my car was filled with probably 16 shopping bags that were full. And it doesn't matter how many times I go to the shops, I make the same mistake. When I get back, I think it's a good idea to carry them all at once. <laughs> and I don't know what it is, but I just look at all those bags and I just think, I can do this. <laughs> I can do this. That's only a three-litre bottle of milk and... Um, you know, a couple of single bottles of soda and some watermelons and some um, cheese and some steak and some... I can do this. So here I go is I load myself up with the shopping bags. I've got eight on each arm. And it's, cut, it's already cutting into my skin. 
And then I remember that I've got to somehow close the boot of my car. And so I start with my head because I can't lift my arms up. And so I'm just, who's been here? Like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, so you know. So I finally get it low enough to get my elbow and then I slam it. As I slam it, the bags cut into my arms even further. And then I start walking towards the house and the gate's closed. So now I have to somehow, without putting the bags down, because heaven forbid I'm not putting these bags down, <laughs> is I'm somehow trying to open the gate with the bags on my arms. I'm trying to get my arm over the gate to open it. I finally open the gate. As I'm walking along, it's getting heavier and heavier. I'm getting more and more angry. And then my beautiful six-year-old daughter is on the pathway wanting to talk to me, she's in the way, and I'm like, you need to get out of the way, like, I've got the bags, I've got the bags, so I'm, I'm getting her out of the way, my blood is starting to boil by this time, I get to the front door, front door's locked, I've still got the bags in my hand, I'm trying to get my keys out of my pocket with the bags in my hand, and I'm getting more and more angry, and then just as I'm about to open the door, one of the bags breaks, bang, and all the stuff falls on the ground, and I'm just about to crack it absolutely crack it. I'm a pastor, but I can crack it. I'll give you the two. And it reminds me um, of the verse in Ecclesiastes which says, better is one hand with tranquility than two hands with toil and chasing after the wind. I'm sure Solomon, when he wrote that, he was watching people carry their shopping <laughs> from their carts to their homes going, man, wouldn't it be easier just to grab a couple of bags open the gate, walk in, turn around, come back, go again. But there's something in us that wants to push ourselves. We want to carry more than we're capable of carrying. And that is how 90% of us live with our finances. Like we have no margin for error. And, and it creates that feeling of absolute stress that absolute um, turmoil. Whereas, how good does it feel when there's margin? Like, how good does it, does it feel when we've got space? And this is the place that God wants us to live in. He doesn't want us to be living in that space where we're so highly strung that we can't acknowledge our kids, that we can't um, close our car boot. <laughs> you know, we can't do the simple things. He actually wants us to have margin. He wants us to have space um, to do these things. Now, um, the Bible is full of financial tips, full of them. Open the book of Proverbs and there's so much in there that will change your world considerably. And it's simple. It's actually really, really simple. And when I say simple, it's simple to understand. It's not very simple to do. And the reason for that being is because it's 80% behavioural and it's 20% skill. To know what to do is really easy. You live within your means, you save more than you spend, or you say, sorry, you spend less than you earn and you invest for the future. Like those, those are the things. But we are all carrying history that will affect our perspective when it comes to money. And, and money is around how we approach money will change our world. 
Whatever you fear the most will reveal what you value the most. In other words, like if you fear about your kids' safety, it's because you really care for your kids. You know, that's natural, isn't it? Like if you are really worried about getting married one day, it's because you value relationships and it's something that's important to you. If you fear money, it's because it's important to you. It's something that's important to you. What you fear the most reveals what you value the most. The second thought is, what you fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. So if you are worried about your money all the time, it's because you trust God the least in that area. And I'm happy for you to argue that, but in my experience, that is certainly the case. The times that I'm most fearful are when I'm trusting God the least in that area. And so I think it's really important that we use these, these situations as a window into our spiritual lives. So if we're experiencing this in our worlds, then we can go, hey, there's, there's something going on in my heart about this. There's an area of trust that isn't in place. Because we all worry at some stage about something. And if you've had nothing to worry about today or up to today, there will be something in the future that you will worry about. Some of us worry about our finances. Some of them worry about our jobs. Some of us are consumed of worrying about getting left behind, that, you know, our neighbours are doing better than us or people at church are doing better than us and we're going to get left behind. We're not going to be significant. Some of us worry about our health. Maybe I'm going to get sick. Some of us worry about our relationships. Anyone with kids here has gone through a time that you've worried about your kids. doesn't matter how old they are. You worry about them. Like, these are things but it's a perspective thing. The Apostle Paul, of all people, to be able to say what can separate us from the love of God, he's a guy who's in prison. Like, he's a guy who's lost everything. He's a guy who's been beaten and persecuted. He's been through famine. All these things. And this is what he talks about. He says, Shall trouble, shall hardship, shall persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, the sword, nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He had a different perspective to be able to be talking like that, and I love that. Because for him, he didn't need to worry because he knew who was in charge. That's how he could be so content, is that he knew that God was in charge. And I love that, and that's what we actually need to... We need to come to this place in our finances to be able to let that, that worry dissipate. We don't need to worry when we know who is in charge. And in Philippians 4, 6, he wrote this. He said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. This is the man speaking who has been through everything. A lot worse than us. A lot worse than us. I know some of us have been through some challenging times, but this guy's been through more. Yet he can still say, Do not be anxious about anything. What does anything include? Everything. (laughs) It includes everything. And it says that the peace of God will transcend understanding and will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Who would like peace around finances in their world? Be brave and put up your hand. I know I do. I want peace around that area. So I'm not going to worry because I know who's in control and God is in control. The second thing is you don't need to worry when you know who truly satisfies. You don't need to worry 
when you know who truly satisfies. I work in an area where the captains of industry live. It's one of the wealthiest suburbs in Australia. And I see people with incredible wealth who are unsatisfied, completely unsatisfied. It's insatiable, insatiable. I know people who have sold businesses for $700 million and they are unsatisfied. Private jets, private helicopters, the best holidays you could ever imagine, and they are broken, broken people. And so um, we need to find a place where we find satisfaction that isn't material because we get to that point where it's insatiable. Imagine having an itch that you couldn't scratch. Like how annoying, how annoying. And that's what it's like to, to be so focused on material things that it is insatiable. And it's that constant drive of energy and that constant carrying the shopping bags to the nth <laughs> degree, like we're just trying so hard. And again, we read in Philippians, not that I was ever, um, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. What a place to get to. That's where God wants each one of you to get to. He wants you to be content right where you're at. This is something that God taught him. He's learnt the secret of being content. I want to get to that place. I want to remember that God is in charge and that he is the one who satisfies. And I'm going to touch on um, what Proverbs teaches us. I want this to be practical. I want you to take some stuff away today that you can go, you know what, I'm going to do that. I'm actually going to do that in my world starting right now. And in Proverbs, um, it talks a lot about what wise people do. And so let's do what wise people do. What does a wise person do? And this is reading out of Proverbs 31. Pro Proverbs 31 is, um, is about the woman... Um, Proverbs, who's heard about Proverbs 31 woman? Yep. Every, um, every man prays for a Proverbs 31 wife. I got one. And I'm thankful for that. <laughs> but it's a, it's a personification of wisdom, okay? So it's a, it's a, it's a story of wisdom um, personified as a woman in a family context. And so we're just going to unpack um, this a little bit. But the first thing is a wise person makes money. So it is godly to make money. And I think you need to be okay with that. Because if you think that it's not, you won't do it. And you'll find yourself in a situation where you don't have anything. In Proverbs 10 verse 4, it says, Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. Pretty simple. You don't work, you don't eat. Like So as Christians, we need to work hard. We need to be the hardest workers in our office. In our workplace... We need to work harder, not longer. Don't, don't mistake working a long time as being hard workers, but be hard workers, be efficient. You don't have to work an 80-hour week, but you can work an effective 40 or 50-hour week. And, and that's been my conviction. There are people in my industry that work 80 hours a week. I don't, because I just don't have time to. <laughs> I just don't have time, but I have to be effective, and I have to be okay with working hard and, and focusing on what is going to be the most dollar productive activity for me to do. And, and I also understand that we are remunerated for adding value. 
So if I need to improve the ability to add value to someone, then I will get paid more. And so in whatever career that you're in, whatever vocation that you're in, think about how can I add value to more people? And often it's a service. So how do we serve people better than anyone else? And I work in an industry where the bar of service is pretty low. And so for us to stand out, we can go the extra mile, we can return the phone call, we can be speed of service, we can be honest, we can be kind, we can be considerate, we can be um, needs focused. And that will um, provide a better service for people that people will then talk about and, and business will increase. In Proverbs 20 says, it says, do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings, they will not serve before officials of low rank. If we learn to serve, we will serve before kings. And so we need to think about how do we, how do we increase our ability to make money? We upskill and we serve better and we work harder and we're entrepreneurial. Maybe you're in a fixed wage job. Maybe you could have a side hustle. Maybe you can think about how can I help someone? Don't be afraid to think about alternate sources of income. Think creatively. Pray about it. Ask God to speak to you. And do it. Because we can get so in a rut when it comes to our vocations or our earnings of money, we can just get caught in a rut. God doesn't want you to be in a rut. He wants this to be an adventure. And if we approach it like a, an adventure, um, our lives will be transformed in that. This idea of attitude of whatever we do at work, we're doing it as over for the Lord. Um, it says that in Corinthians. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Work hard when no one's watching. Not just when your boss is there, not when the client's there. Do the right thing and God will honour that. God will work with that stuff. So we, we're, we're called to make money. That is an instruction. The second thing is we're called to manage money. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Work hard. There's no quick get-rich-quick scheme. If you hear someone telling you that you're going to get rich in a month if you do, do this, if you buy this stock, if you do that tip, run away. Like pyramid schemes suck in so many people because they want the quick fix. There's no quick fix. There's a there's an, um, an exponential curve um, to do with money. And it takes a long time to move quickly. Who's ever studied compounding interest? Does anyone, does anyone everyone know what compounding interest is? Compounding interest is where the interest compounds each year. The interest goes back into the capital. That capital then gets the interest on it again. And it happens year over year over year. So take something like a car repayment. So the average car repayment is $487 a month. So that's an average car repayment for someone who buys their car on finance over an 84-month period. Do you know what, if you invested that $487 a month from the age that you were 30 on compounding interest in a, in a, a moderate investment fund, by the time that you are 70, you'll have $5.7 million cash. Or you could have a car that halved in value. When you think about financing cars, they're cars that, you know, cars depreciate in value. And it's thinking around 
long-term, not just the immediate sort of fix. God wants us to be thinking around being wise with our money. The Proverbs 31 woman watches over her affairs and her household, and she plans what she does, and she stewards her finances. It's essential that we have a plan for our money. And here are some things that we can do. Get out of debt. Get out of debt. Debt is the fast food of our world. It is, we want everything now. We want a new lounge, can't afford it, I'll just borrow the money. I want a new car, can't afford it, I'll borrow, I'll borrow to get it. You know, I want a holiday, can't afford it, I'm going to borrow for it. Proverbs 22 verse 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, the borrower is a slave to the lender. Slaves don't have options. If you're a slave, you actually don't have any options. You're stuck. Like, you're responsible to your master. And even though slavery's been abolished, many of us are slaves. Like, many of us are slaves because we're not thinking around what we're doing with our money. You have to keep a job you don't like to pay the bills that you don't want. Because we're buying stuff all the time. It's just a, it's a habit. Like, I've done it. I've done it. I've just... You just feel this urge to consume. And we spoke about before, it's, it's insatiable. There's always that, um, that idea that I've got to constantly be um, buying stuff. Now, I've been through a bit of a journey just recently. Um, having worked in real estate, um, I've worked in real estate for 15 years. And um, what I've found is that my income has increased significantly from when I've started. 10, 15 times what I was earning 10 years ago. But that doesn't make any difference at all because our lifestyles expand accordingly to our income. And, and that's all good when everything's good, isn't it? But what happens when things go bad? And they will go bad at some stage. And so at the end of 2017, we'd finished building our house um, and you know all was good, we could afford it, we are paying for it. But then guess what happened? the property market turned, and it turned quick. So I doubled my expenses and my income halved. And I was like, whoa, that happened quick. Like, that, that was unexpected because I'm good at my job. I've been good at my job for many, many years. But in that situation, all of a sudden, I felt like a slave. And it happened, like, in three months. In three months, and I had a buffer, so there were others who didn't. But I had a buffer and I churned through that buffer pretty quick. And over that period of time, I, I, started, to have a, I started to look forward 20, 30 years. And I went, wait a minute, is this my life? Is this what the next 20 to 30 years looks like? And I st because it started to weigh on me, it started to wake me up at 3 in the morning. It started to create a weight on me that I didn't sign up for. And... Um, and what was interesting is that we were pulling back in other areas. So we have always wanted to be generous people. We'd made commitments to things that we wanted to fulfill. But all of a sudden, we were like, we can't do that anymore because we're in this situation where we've lost buffer. Like, I wasn't carrying just two shopping bags anymore. I was carrying 16, and it was weighing me down. It was making me angry, and it was getting in that situation. And, and so we had to make a decision. So we... we um, we had a choice to make, and the choice for us was to 
um, to sell our house in a market that had turned, which is the worst possible position to be in. <laughs> so, and we were churning through cash at that time, and on, at the end of June, we had, a, we had um, a vision builder's commitment that was outstanding at the end of June, and we had a choice to make. Are we going to fulfill this, or what are we going to do? And, um, and I really felt like I needed to honour God with our commitment, but I also needed to be obedient that whatever he called us to do, we were going to do it. And if that meant that we're going to sell our house, it meant we we're going to sell our house. And, um, and so we fulfilled our commitment on the 31st of, or the 30th of July, or, or sorry, of June, and I had complete peace. I actually didn't know how things were going to pan out at that stage, but I had complete peace. Three weeks later, I walked into a house um, that, was at, that was 20 minutes from where we live at the moment, and I fell in love with this house, like it was perfect. And it's three minutes from the girls' school, and I really felt, I felt like God say, buy that house. I'm like, I have no idea how I'm going to do this, because I'm all, I, um, I'm, I feel like I'm in a pincer move, like I'm stuck. And um, I said to God, if, you're, if you want me to do this, it was significantly less than the house that we owned, value-wise. So I'm trading down, I'm not trading up in value. And so I was a little bit more open to risk in that situation, even though, even though, um, even though it scared me. So um, the auction was two weeks away and um, I had a lot to organise in that time. I needed to organise finance, I needed to organise everything in that, in that short period of time. And by the time I got all my paperwork together and I submitted it to the bank, it was the Wednesday before the auction. The bank picked up my file on the Friday. Do you know how long they take to process applications at the moment? It's about 14 days. The auction was on the Friday night. Sorry, the auction was on the Saturday. And I just said to God, God, I'm throwing out a fleece. If we're supposed to do this, I want you to, um, I want you to have our finance approved. And 6 o'clock on that Friday night, they picked it up at 10 o'clock. 6 o'clock that Friday night, we had written um, confirmation of our finances. And then um, the next day we went to the auction and we were the successful bidders at the auction. And it was just like there was a total touch of God on this situation. Um, we had already, in that, in that two weeks, we had our house put on the market. So we were two weeks into an auction campaign. We bought the other place. We had two weeks later. And, and then we sold our place at auction um, for 10% over what it was valued at at the peak in 2017. For those of you who don't know, the market came off 15%. Like, so, so we were ahead 25% in that time. And um, it was just that honouring God, that whole, um, that whole, we want to pay down debt. So our mortgage um, reduced by 40% in that time. And so... I had no idea how that would have worked. So from the end of June to the end of August is when we sold. So within eight weeks, by deciding to no longer be a slave and reducing our mortgage significantly, um, God honoured that situation. And 
Um, that is not my skill. It's not because I'm a real estate agent that I read that. It was just that obedience and following the peace. And that, you know, the only thing that would have stopped me from doing that is pride. That idea of, but we just built this house and we're only, <laughs> we've only been there two years and um, the place that we're moving to is significantly bigger. Like, for our stage of life, it's a, it's a, it's a massive win. Like, we can't wait to sort of move. And I really feel like that's what, that's, that God honoured that situation. And even though it scared the living daylights out of us, we just knew that that was the case. And so getting out of debt is one of those key things. We're going to wrap up because we're going to go over time. Otherwise, I just want to touch on these two other points. Is act your wage. Act your wage. Live on less than you earn. Proverbs 21 verse 30 says, The wise man saves for the future, but a foolish man spends everything that he has. We need to live on less than we earn. Like, regardless of what anyone else thinks. If you've got to downgrade your car, downgrade your car. Like, if you've got to get out of these things, get, get out of those, those payment plans. Imagine living without debt repayments. Imagine the freedom that that will bring you. Get out of those situations. 1 Timothy 6, 7 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. Like, godliness, like let's get content with what we have. Final point is develop a budget. Think about every dollar that you earn as a worker, someone working for you. If you ran a big corporation, you would want to know what all your workers are doing. You wouldn't let them all go to lunch at the same time. Like, you'd want to make sure that every dollar is working. And so before the month starts, you should give every dollar a name and you should know exactly where it's going. And you should be prioritising God as number one and then savings and then living expenses. Is it's got to be it's got to be in those orders because as soon as we expand our lives and our living expenses to the point that we we've got no longer any area to breathe that's where we that's where we get into a bind and God will trust us with what we show faithfulness in. I got my motorbike license a couple of years ago. And do you know why they put beginners on a restricted license? <laughs> Have a guess. <laughs> the restricted license, you can only drive a certain powered bike, is because if you jumped on a BMW S1000R and you're a beginner, you will kill yourself. Like, it would just be a matter of minutes before you do that. And God is the same. He will not give you more than you can handle because you will kill yourself. When my daughter starts driving, heaven forbid, I hope they're not driving. I hope Uber takes over. <laughs> but I will only entrust her to do with what she's capable of doing. And God does the same with that. So we're going to finish now because we're going to run over time. But as we finish, I just want um, to put an invitation out to you. There's a story in the Bible which is the prodigal son and it's a story of someone who squandered wealth, who actually made some really poor choices along the way. And um, I, think it's, I think that story is representative of every single one of us, that we demand something from God and then we squander it. But I also feel like his reaction to that squandering is incredibly gracious. 
because that story doesn't talk about a God who holds the son to account. It's actually the story of a father who just opens his arms and welcomes that son back. And so maybe you're here today and maybe you're that son or that daughter who's squandered wealth or squandered your life or whatever it is. Maybe it was your health. Maybe it was relationships. Maybe it was something. This is an opportunity just to come home. So with every head bowed, I'm just going to give an opportunity, if that's you, if that's you, why don't you respond? Just, I'm not going to embarrass you, but you can just raise your hand and we'll pray for you after the service. If that's you, if you feel like you've been away from home and maybe you just want to come back, maybe your financial world is in ruins, but you just want to turn around, draw a line in the sand and make your way back. Maybe if that's you, you can also raise your hand and we can pray for you after the service. If there's anyone here who wants to make that choice, you can do that now. Why don't we all stand? We're just going to pray for us. Father God, I just thank you, God, that you own the world and everything in it. And we just thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to serve you as a loving father. We thank you that you care about our circumstances. You care about our situations, Lord. And I just pray right now that every person in this room would start to take steps towards allowing you control back. You're way smarter at this than we are. And I thank you, God, that if we don't know where to start, Lord, that we would seek help, that we would talk to professionals, we would talk to people who can get us back on track that we can eliminate debt, that we can live on less than we earn, that we can invest for the future. And God, that we understand that in you is the fullness of life, Lord God. And I just pray right now that every person in this room would experience that fullness of life, Lord God. I rebuke fear, Lord God, worry, stress, and the impact of that has on our health, Lord God. I just thank you right now that we are free the person who you set free is free indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.